Well, welcome to our first week of Joshua. It's exciting to study this godly man. And so I want to start today by asking you just a few questions for you to think about. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you in life? And a second question would be, do you ever pray that God would use you? Well, when I was on staff with Campus Crusade years ago, I was at our annual staff training at Colorado State University. And that summer at our conference, we had a keynote speaker named Ron Dunn. Ron Dunn is with the Lord now, but he was a Bible teacher, a pastor, a Christian author. And Ron Dunn, in one of his talks, he said, don't ask God to use you. And we were like, really? But he said, don't ask God to use you. Instead, ask God to make you usable. I have remembered those words all these years, and that's probably been 30 plus years ago. I still remember that even this morning in my quiet time as I was finishing up and I said, Lord, please use me today. And I went, no, no, make me usable. I've never forgotten his words. It just affects the way I pray. And so the two questions I want you to consider this week as we ponder and and think about chapters 1 and 2 is, number one, are you usable? And number two, are you willing to let God make you usable? So are you usable? And are you willing to let God make you usable? Uh, Dr. Don Campbell, who was one of the uh, past presidents of Dallas Seminary, uh, a great teacher, one of my teachers, he wrote a book called No Time for Neutrality, which is on the book of uh, Joshua. And he said in this book, and I put this up on the PowerPoint to help you just read along. He said, wherever we are in life, We are in a place where character can be built, where skills can be honed, where new knowledge and wisdom can be acquired. And he goes on to say, you may feel that God isn't even using you right now, but God has a plan for you. And he is preparing you for the challenges ahead, just as prepared Joshua during those first 80 years of his life. I love what he said. You know, you may feel that God's not even using you right now, but he's preparing you. God has a plan for you. Are you usable to carry out that plan that he wants for you today? So this week we looked at two characters in Joshua 1 and Joshua 2. Two characters that are complete opposites, completely different from each other. We looked at Joshua and Rahab. One a male, the other a female. One was an Israelite and the other was a Canaanite. One was a spiritual leader, the other was a prostitute. One had walked closely with God and served him for well over 40 years. The other was new in her faith. They were as different as night and day, and yet God used both Joshua 
and Hannah, I mean uh, Rahab, to accomplish his purpose. They were both usable. And so as we look at these first two chapters today, I want to identify three principles of how God works to make us usable, to carry out his plan for us. So the first principle is the preparation. God has to prepare us before he can use us. And when God wants to accomplish something, when he wants to use us to accomplish a task, he has to prepare us first. We don't just bounce out of the womb and here I am, God, I'm ready to go. He has to take us through a process to get us ready for what he wants us to do. And so I want to look at three tools that God used to prepare Joshua for his ministry. And the first tool is the tool of suffering. You know, Joshua grew up in a difficult situation. He grew up in Egypt when they were under bondage, when they were under slavery to the Egyptians. They were oppressed. They were mistreated. He grew up in a very harsh environment. But that wasn't wasted time because God was using that time in Egypt to prepare Joshua for what was ahead for him. And God often uses that tool of suffering and hardship in our lives to prepare us for whatever it is that he's got for us to do. And suffering builds godly character. It makes us usable to God for his purpose. But let's be honest. I would guess there's not one person in this room that likes the tool of suffering, especially when we're in the middle of it. Because when he's using that tool in our lives, we tend to doubt God's love for us. We question and we doubt, God, what are you doing? Why? None of us want to suffer. None of us want to go through something hard. But that is the tool that God uses to make us usable. You know, several years ago, and I couldn't remember which Bible study I shared this illustration from. I think it was the King's study. Uh, But I shared an illustration several years ago about the hammer and the nail. Do y'all remember that? Where there's this tension between the, the relationship between the hammer and the nail. Every time that hammer hits that nail, the nail doesn't look at the hammer as a loving instrument. Every time that hammer strikes the nail, it hurts. And the nail looks at the hammer and goes, stop, ouch. There's no purpose in this. But what the nail doesn't understand is that every time that hammer strikes the nail, it's pushing that nail deeper and deeper into stability, into that wood, so that instead of the nail wobbling, it's firm. And that is the tool that God uses with us, suffering. It's like the hammer and we're the nail. And God is using that hammer to drive us deeper. So if we want to be usable to God to carry out his purpose, we have to be willing to let him use the tool of suffering in our lives. And that tool, that suffering is going to look different for every one of us. For some of you, that suffering is a difficult marriage. For some of you, it may be a a difficult child or a health issue. 
or financial hardship. It may be that you're dealing with loss of a loved one or you're facing rejection in some way. Hardship looks different for every one of us. You know, I've shared this with you many times. For me, one of the hardest seasons I've gone through in my life was a few years ago caring for my mom in those last few years, and some of you have been there, and you know that is a horrible season. And at the time, I did not enjoy the hammer hitting me. But after it was over, I could look back and see how God used that time in my life to draw me into a deeper dependence on him that I had not known before. So the first tool that God uses is suffering. The second tool that he uses is the tool of submission. Joshua knew how to submit to authority. He was Moses' right-hand man. Uh, In Exodus 17, Moses put Joshua in charge of the Israelite army to fight against the Amalekites. And Moses gave him instructions and told him how to fight this battle. And Joshua did just what Moses told him to do. He didn't tell Moses, hey, listen, you know what? I I have a better idea. He didn't tell him how he thought the battle should be fought. He didn't disobey and go off on his own. He listened. He submitted to Moses and his authority, and as a result, they defeated the Amalekites. Joshua didn't try to take control. He didn't try to take things into his own hands. He submitted to the authority that God had placed over him. And from all things that we can read in Scripture, he seemed content to be right where he was. He assisted Moses for over 40 years, and we never get any indication that Joshua was frustrated with being in a secondary role or he was, that he was ever frustrated with Moses. We don't ever read that he complained about Moses or criticized Moses. And God put Joshua in leadership in God's timing, and Joshua trusted God's hand. We don't even know if Joshua wanted to be a leader. But God used the tool of submission to make him a great leader. When Joshua stepped into that role in chapter 1 of Joshua 1, Joshua was able to give orders because he had learned how to take orders. And to be a good leader, we have to first be a good leader follower. We don't have to always be right and have the last word, or it has to be my way. You're wrong. I've got a better way. You know, when I look for a leader over an area in this ministry, I look for how have they served on teams before? Were they easy to work with? Were they submissive? Were they teachable? Were they helpful? Or were they argumentative all the time? Because I look for that, that, are you a good follower? Because if you're a good follower, you're going to be a good leader. Let God use the tool of submission 
to prepare you for the purpose that he has for you. So we've looked at two tools, uh, the tool of suffering, the tool of submission. The third tool that God sometimes uses to prepare us is the tool of delay. You know, if the people of Israel had obeyed God 40 years earlier and gone in to take the land, they would have been in the promised land and enjoyed it for 40 years now. But they didn't. And Caleb and Joshua had to wait. Not because of their sin, but because of the sin of the people. They had to wait to see the promised land 40 years. They had to wait until God gave them the green light to go in and claim their inheritance. And God uses the tool of delay often to teach us to wait on him and not get ahead of him, not step out in our own strength. How do you handle the tool of delay in your life? Do you get impatient with God? Do you step out and go, I'm going to take things in my own hands, God. You're not moving fast enough. I got this. Or do you wait on his timing? You know, I don't like this tool any more than the tool of suffering. I I really don't like the tool of delay. But God has used this tool over and over in my life. When I was in seminary, and I've shared this with you too, I mean, God used the tool of delay to make me wait to see what his next step was after seminary. And I wanted to know early on, like everybody else did. And I've shared with you that I finished my very last class at Dallas on a Friday morning in August. And I'd already... Graduate. I had already walked the stage, but this was my last class that summer, the last time I'd be at Dallas Seminary, Friday morning. And then I got on a plane that Friday afternoon and flew to Memphis to meet with Carolyn Bowden and some other women to see if this was a good fit for both of us. God waited until it was all done before he showed me the next step. You know, he's used uh, the tool of delay in my life as I pursued uh, getting my Bible studies out to a broader audience for, I don't know, 20 years now. I have tried to get these Bible studies out to just more people. And I finally, this summer at at Carol Kent's conference, I came back and wrote down in my journal, God, I don't want to do this. Uh, I think you're showing me that it's not going it's just not going to happen and so i am content with my women here at first evan this is who you've called me to write for thank you because i don't have to do all the things that i'd have to do if you open that door and then a, a month later i got the phone call and they said yes and i thought now when i've said I, i'm happy with not doing it are you serious 20 years of waiting And God said, now's the time. And you know, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, if he had said yes 10 years ago, five years ago, even two years ago, I wasn't ready. I'm not even ready now. But God knows when we're ready. Don't fight the tool of delay. So the first principle that God uses to prepare us to make or to make us usable is that principle of preparation. 
God has to prepare us. And he uses tools to do that. Suffering, submission, delay, waiting on him. The second principle that God uses to make us usable is the principle of provision. God will always provide what we need in order to be usable and accomplish what he wants us to do. No matter how difficult the challenge, God will provide what we need if he's called us to do something. You know, we begin the book of Joshua, and God is giving Joshua instructions, and he's telling him, you now arise, cross this Jordan with the people to the land that I am giving to you. That was God's mission to Joshua. That was God's plan for Joshua. That's how God wanted to use Joshua at that time. And all of a sudden, Joshua has a new plan, a new chapter in his life. Instead of being the second in command and assistant, now he's in charge. And we get no indication that he was overconfident. We don't get the indication that he went to God and said, Finally! Finally, now you see how good I am, and you're going to let me do this. Instead, we see just the opposite. Oh, God, I I don't know. And God had to encourage him. He was fighting the battle of inadequacy. He seemed to be overwhelmed by the task God gave him. And, you know, he knew what he was up against. Think about it. Forty years earlier, he had gone in and seen the land. He knew what these people were like. He knew there were giants in the land. He knew that they were going to have to somehow get around these walls that fortified these cities. You can just imagine what was going through his mind. He was probably thinking, God, what if I can't do it? What if I fail? But feeling inadequate is a good place to be because it draws us into a deeper dependence on God instead of, Relying on our own strength. God, I got this. Again, you know, I fight this battle of inadequacy all the time. Uh, When I was on staff of Campus Crusade, I felt so inadequate. I was afraid of failure. I I felt inadequate raising support every year. I remember my first week on campus, sitting outside of a dorm in my car and putting my head on the steering wheel and saying, God, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Please help me. But those are good seasons to be in. You know, when I worked in surgery as running the heart-lung machine, I would walk down that hall every morning to the surgery uh, center, operating room, telling God, What if something happens in this case that I don't know how to handle and I kill this patient? And it happens. I didn't kill anybody, but there's that inadequacy of, God, I don't know if I can handle this. You know, again, when I took this job, I felt inadequate. I still feel inadequate with this job. I feel inadequate with the journey of publishing. It is a struggle of God, I don't know if I can 
do what you're asking me to do. But God says, and he will provide everything we need. I have two go-to verses when I'm feeling inadequate. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who calls you, he will also bring it to pass. And then Psalm 138.8. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. And I have to remember, it's God's work, not mine. God will accomplish what he needs. And so Joshua was needing some encouragement. God gave him encouragement. And God would provide all that he needed to lead these people. And in chapter 1, again, we see three of those provisions that God reminds him of. And the first is God's promises. In in verses 5 and 6, God says, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. You will give this people possession of the land. God made promises. And he wanted Joshua to trust him no matter how impossible the task seemed. And so the first provision God gives us is his promises. The second provision is his word. And these go really hand to hand because that's where we find his promises is in his word. In verses 7 to 8. And God exhorted Joshua to be careful to do all that's written in his word, in the law. Don't turn from it so that you will have success And whatever you do, and in verse 8 he said, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You know, God told Joshua, If you want to have success in this task that I'm giving you, if you want to be usable, you have got to embrace my word. Speak it. Meditate on it. Obey it. And that's true for us. If we want to be usable to God, we have to embrace his word. And that's why I'm so thankful that you have chosen to be part of a group that studies God's word together. And the third provision is God's presence. That's one of his promises. Verse 9. He said, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. (coughs) Sorry. You know, God reminds us, you are not alone in this. I am with you every step of the way. And for us, we have the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us, to direct us. So the first principle that God uses to make us usable is preparation. He has to prepare us before he can use us. The second principle is provision. God will provide all we need to carry out his purpose for us. And then the third is the principle of providence. God in his sovereignty can use anyone to achieve his purposes if they're usable. He sometimes chooses the most unlikely candidate, and that's what we see in chapter 2. When Joshua sent out two men to spy out Jericho, 
they went to the house of a harlot named Rahab. And Rahab protected those spies from the king's men that were hunting them. God chose to use a harlot to carry out his purpose. And she was usable. If you've ever doubted that God could use you because of something in your past, let this be an encouragement to you. She is proof that our past doesn't render us useless for God's work. She had obviously come to believe in the God of Israel, and so she hid the spies and she lied to the king's men to protect them. Now, the question comes up, was she wrong? Even though it was for a good purpose, was her lie wrong? The simple answer is yes, it was, because God doesn't, he doesn't condone lying. It makes it very clear, Scripture makes it clear that God, he, it displeases God. The end doesn't justify the means. <clears throat> and some argue that if she hadn't lied, they would have died. But we don't know what God's will was for those men. Maybe he wanted them to die, and he was going to use that for his purpose. Or maybe God would have protected those men in some miraculous way that would have brought him more glory. We don't know. In Hebrews 11 and James 2, Rahab is mentioned, and she is commended for her faith, not her lie. So how could she have handled the situation as a believer and a follower of God? She could have told them the truth. She could have shared with them about God. She could have taken that as an opportunity to say, let me tell you about these men's God. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you how great he is. You want to believe in him. She could have used it as an opportunity to share Christ and trust God for the results. She could have pleaded with them to put their faith. She could have just told the truth and trusted God to work however he saw best. And out of all the people in Jericho, why did God choose Rahab to accomplish his purpose? Why did he choose this plan for her life, a harlot? It's his sovereign choice. He chooses. Why does God choose me or you for anything that he gives us to do? It's his choice. God sovereignly chooses. So God knew how he wanted to use Joshua and Rahab in his bigger plan. And he was able to use them because they were usable. And God knows how he wants to use you and me. And again, I go back to that question I gave you at the beginning. Are you usable? Will you let God prepare you and use whatever tools he might need to use to prepare you? Will you believe that God will provide everything you need to carry out what he's called you to do. 
And will you rest in his providence, his sovereignty? And trust, God, you know what you're doing. And you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Are you usable? There's a quote by A.B. Simpson, who he was an American minister. He was a missionary in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But he said something that's also stuck with me ever since I read this. And I put it up on the PowerPoint. He said, God is not wanting great men and women, but he's wanting people who will dare to prove the greatness of their God. Joshua and Rahab are examples of this. They dared to prove the greatness of God. They weren't seeking to be great, but they wanted to prove the greatness of their God. Will you and I demonstrate the greatness of God by our lives? Yesterday, um, last night, I started reading a book that just came out. It's uh, called The Luckiest Man. And it's written by a man by the name of John Payne. And he was in my church in Dallas when I was there. And this was probably, I don't know, 17 years ago. He had just been diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's syndrome. And I can remember uh, our pastor interviewing John. And this was probably three years after his diagnosis, interviewing him. And John said, and I've never forgotten this, John said, I would not go back to my life before ALS because my relationship with Christ is so much deeper than it ever was, and I don't want to give that up. And so in this book, I started reading it last night, um, And if I hadn't had heart-to-heart today, I probably would have stayed up past midnight because I couldn't put it down. But, and I wanted to show you the video, but I didn't have time to put it together. I saw this trailer on uh, the Internet the other night of of John in his wheelchair. And they told him back when I was in Dallas, you've got two to four years. Get things together. And... 17 years later, he's still alive, but he's in his final days. And I wish you could see, you might even just Google the luckiest man, John Payne, and they'll show the, the, the video. But he's in this wheelchair. He's paralyzed from head to foot. And he can't even breathe. His diaphragm is paralyzed. So they have this little instrument on him that pumps air into his lungs to give him breath. But he talks in this video about, it's short, it's like a minute, but he talks and he says, my name is John Payne, and I have what you want. And what he goes into in his book, and when I knew him, I have an intimacy with God that I never would have had. And even at this book, he talks about how he's at the end of his life. How could God ever use him? He's in a wheelchair. But you know what? That is a task that God has called John Payne to. Is he usable? Yes. 
if you see his uh, little interview, if you read, they've got a documentary out. And I thought, God, here is a man who could say, God, you can't use me. I'm no good for your use. God is using him greatly to draw people into a deeper intimacy with God. And like he said, I have what you want. And he's right. So don't seek to be great. Seek to be usable. And prove the greatness of your God. Don't pray, God, use me. Pray, God, make me usable. And then God will use you if he wants to. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for um, Joshua and Rahab, the examples that they are to us of how you can use people. And they may not be the people that we would have chosen for a task, but God, you're sovereign. You know who you want to use where and how. And Lord, I pray for us that we would be usable to you. We would, would say, God, here I am. How do you want to use me? Make me usable. Lord, work in us. Teach us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.